for Deanna Percoto, trying to figure out how to navigate life, started earlier than it does for most of us. Much, much earlier. I was actually nine years old when I decided I needed to run away from my birth mom because her abuse has escalated a particular night from bad to worse. She was very drunk one night and she woke me up and she was really angry. And she woke me up and she said, I need you to get up. Um, She stormed into the kitchen and she threw the pot of hot water all over me. This is Family Life Today. Our host is the president of Family Life, Dennis Rainey, and I'm Bob Lapine. We'll hear today how Deanna Percoto became a trophy of God's amazing grace. Stay tuned. And welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us. We're going to leave our studio today and take you with us to an event where Dennis Rainey was recently at the Christian Alliance for Orphans Summit that was held earlier this year in Nashville, Tennessee. Dennis had a chance to sit down with Deanna Prokoto and hear an amazing story of God's love and care for orphans. We are going near the orphan, and uh, I thought of Job chapter 29, verse 12. Job gives his defense and talks about what he had done with his life. He said, I delivered the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to help him. And we have a guest with us on Family Life today who knows about people who've been obedient to what Job did. Deanna Precodo joins us on Family Life today. Welcome to the broadcast, Deanna. Thank you very much. Deanna is, uh, yeah, you can welcome her. Deanna is from Ukraine, and I stumbled a bit over that, but uh, she has a great story of redemption, and uh, I want you to take us back to your childhood. Just take us back, talk to us about the home you grew up in. You were raised by a single-parent mom, right? That's correct. Tell us about uh, the circumstances under which you grew up. I grew up in Kiev, Ukraine. My birth mom was a single mom. We had um, no home no place that we could consistently reside at. My birth mom was um, an alcoholic, a prostitute, and um, a drug user. She had never um, knew her own father, her own God, her own father, Heavenly Father, so she didn't know how to love me from the very beginning. As my earliest memory of her, she was very abusive um, verbally, emotionally, and physically. And she took out a lot of her anger on me throughout my childhood. What do you remember most about those years growing up? What I remember most was just the turmoil, the constant fear of her abandoning me, the constant fear of not knowing where we would sleep the next day, if she would find some guy for us to spend the night at his apartment and not knowing what that person would be like, Um, just the ups and downs of unstable home environment and the ups and downs of of her anger. And um, when she would drink, she was very abusive. But when she was sober, she was a totally different person. So it was difficult for 
me to gauge and understand when she'd be in a good mood or a bad mood. You were a little girl when uh, things got not just bad, but they moved to even worse than they had been. Explain what happened that night. I do remember one night in particular. My birth mother actually fell in love with, um, with a man who was a police officer in the city, and his name was Igor. He was just this big old man. Um, he never was mean or abusive to me. He was always just there. But I knew that she was happy. So for me, um, it was just great knowing that she was happy and that we were pretty consistent living in this one place with him. I remember one time that my mom, while she was dating him, she stopped drinking for a whole year. There was an opportunity where he invited her to go and work somewhere, and they had to go and work. They worked for a whole year, and they were not able to drink. So there was no drinking, no drugs for a whole year. And I was just so amazed that she was able to do that for him. She ultimately had what would be the equivalent of a nervous breakdown. That's right. And went to a mental hospital. That's correct. And then came back. You stayed with friends while she was gone. There was no other person to stay with. That's right. What was it like when she came back? When she came back from her um, hospital stay, life was really chaotic. She has changed and um, her anger escalated. Things just got from bad to worse because she ended up blaming me for the death of um, the man that she loved. So when she came back from her facility where she stayed at, she was very angry. She was not protecting me. She was hurting me. She was drinking. She was trying to go um, to grocery stores and different places, and she would hold my hand, and then she'd walk away, and I would be looking for her. Mm. You ultimately fled. I did. I you were how old when you ran away? I was actually nine years old when I decided I needed to run away from my birth mom because of her abuse. Her mm. abuse has escalated a particular night from bad to worse. She was very drunk one night, and she said, um, she woke me up, and she was really angry. And she woke me up, and she said, I need you to get up. I want you to make me some borscht, which is a Ukrainian soup. We were poor. We didn't have anything. And I said, Mom, I don't really know how to cook, but I don't see any potatoes, and I do not have the ingredients to make this food. And her anger just escalated so bad that she stormed into the kitchen, and she threw the pot of hot water all over me. She ended up putting my face with her whole weight, bearing my face down on the burner oh. on the stove. And I tried to push her off of me, but her weight was more than I could bear. And so that night, I just ran from her, but her apartment was so little, I had no place of escape. She ended up getting a hold of me later, and she ended up doing horrific things to me rest of the night. And um, I had no way of escaping from her from that apartment. She ended up cutting me, hitting me with jump ropes. While I was um, trying to run away from her, she ended up hanging me with that jump rope, oh. and that jump rope broke. And when I woke up a few hours later, I was covered in blood. I ran away from her after that episode because I knew that I could die with her yeah. or I could try on the streets and I could try my luck and make my life better without her around. The my streets for a nine-year-old. 
a nine-year-old girl. I mean, come on, that had to be dangerous, huh? It was very dangerous. I was on the streets for about a year, and I found some friends. We ended up calling ourselves the gang. We ended up um, feeling our... It was our little circle, and we felt protected. We kind of took care of each other. And we would beg for money. There was different ages. There was probably eight or ten of us. And we had a guy that was our leader. Then we had the girls. We had the older girls, the younger girls. And our leader told the older girls needed to do the older girl things. The younger kids can just stand and beg for money. And by the end of the night, we would get back together, bring in the money, bring in the food, and he would decide what we would do with our resources that night. Most of the time, he opted out for buying us drugs or glue so we would sniff and get high and forget about the fact that we were hungry or cold. There was the night when the unthinkable almost happened for a little girl, nine or ten years old. Yes, that particular event was when the leader of our group tried to sell me to a man who had come in to our area. It was late at night. And he said, I want to go talk to that girl over there. Why is she sitting over there? And so my group leader, he came up to me and he said, I need you to go to this man's apartment over here. He's got some money he's got to give you. And I said, no, thank you. I felt in my heart that that was not a good choice to go with that man. And so my group leader and the other friends in our group, they walked with me, walked with this man. And when we came to an apartment, he acted like he was going with me and everyone's coming into the elevator. And then right before the elevator, he pushed me in and that man grabbed my face and held my mouth. And we were in the elevator together. And I just felt such betrayal from this little gang I was with. And I remember thinking in my mind, this could be my last day. I didn't know what to expect, and all I could hear was a certain sentence my birth mother repeated to me, that if you are ever in a position like this, just give up, you're done. Because the same thing had happened to her when she was a little girl. And so, the elevator ride seemed very long, but I knew that when those elevator doors opened, I had to do something. And when those elevator doors opened, and we both walked out, and he said, you stay right here, I'm going to open this door, I bolted. I ran out of there, and I ran as fast as I could down those flights of stairs. And I felt my heart beating out of my chest, but I knew I had gotten away from something that could have very much altered my life. I'm a grandfather of some nine-year-old granddaughters, and I'm sitting here listening to this, and I'm going... That's not what children are supposed to experience. I'm sorry. You, you, your story goes on. Even in the midst of the streets, God protected you because usually little girls like you would die in the streets. There was a place and a man who ended up being good like Job and who rescued you. Explain who Roman was. When I was on the streets of Kiev... Roman was the man that invited me in to this apartment, which was the beginning of Father's house. He started taking care of orphans. 
He started inviting us. Mm -hmm. And I was very shy and I was very concerned about this first step because I didn't know if I could trust. But I tried because I was desperate and I had to give it one more try. And so when I went to Roman, him and his volunteers, they introduced me to Christ. They fed me, they clothed me, they took care of me, and they loved me. They didn't expect anything back from me. They just let me go, and then the next week I would come back, and then the next week I'd come back and there would be more children, and soon before you knew it, there was a line of us fighting to get into this apartment. (laughs) The apartment and the ministry ultimately became? Father's house. The Father's house. Yes. Which is what you needed, was a father. That's right. Amen. It became the Father's house. There was another angel sent to you from Springfield, Missouri. That's correct. During my stay at Father's house, there was a man that came from Springfield, Missouri. His name is Bob Lehman. Bob Lehman came on a missions trip. He looked at the orphanage. He looked at all us kids, and God spoke to his heart about me. At the end of his trip, he went back home. And God was just doing something in his heart. And Bob Lehman started collecting funds and started collecting um, things within his own family, with his own little circle at his church. And he took my picture and he showed it to his family and to the local um, hospital. And he said, we got to do something for her. And so when he went to this hospital and um, tried to get um, donations or anything that they could do to help me, at first they just kind of turned him away and they said, we cannot donate, that's, um, that's a very large amount. And um, so Bob just left the picture of me on the desk of one of the doctors and he walked out. What was their response? When the doctor got back that day, he said, who is this? And the nurses and the people said, oh, there was just some man that came in yesterday asking for donations, but we don't know who this child is and we're not sure who he is. We don't have his contact information. And that man said, find this man and find this child. And God opened the door after that. They invited me to come to Springfield, Missouri to receive medical attention because they have never seen such a severe case of a small child being severely burned. And they donated all their services, their anesthesiologists and doctors and surgeons and nurses. Over a million dollars worth of medical care. And they took care of me. I stayed at the Ronald McDonald's house while I was recovering from 18 plastic surgeries. Dental work? I had dental work. It was, eight, it was from my neck up. I had no hair from where my birth mother burned me. There was a third degree burn. They did an amazing job of making me look like a woman and feeling precious. Well, you're beautiful. Thank you. Deanna, this just a side note. I was born in St. John's Hospital. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I know, that, I know that area well. While you were recovering and going through all the plastic surgeries, you stayed in some families who showed you what a family was like. And uh, ultimately, your visa ran out. You had to go back to Ukraine. And uh, uh, it left a longing in your heart for a family. And not long after you were back at the father's house again, there was another visitor. There was another visitor, a very special visitor by the name of Tara Quinn. She went to Father's house with her oldest son, Clay, on a missions trip because God told her to. And so I remember meeting her one day 
she came and she walked through our orphanage and walked through our father's house. And I remember one time um, I was doing some homework in a particular room upstairs. And as she was walking through with the rest of the missionary team, she stopped where I was and she um, wanted to ask one of the staff who I was, what was I doing, can she stop and talk to me? And, um, and I was very glad she was able to stop. I was very glad to share my life with her. Um, I feel like God was um, opening my heart and opening her heart. And after our conversations and after I was able to share my life with her, I realized she would have to leave, go back to America. Something was happening in your heart. You were longing for her to become your mom. I was. And you didn't realize it, but the same thing was happening in hers. That's right. The same thing was happening in her heart. And I remember when she had to leave that I was feeling like my heart was coming out of my chest and I felt like I wanted her to be my mom so bad. I was longing for her to be that mother figure that um, mm -hmm. would just love and cherish me and be there for me. And when they left and they sat on the bus, I couldn't help it but run after that bus. Oh. And I didn't know that if I would ever see her again or not, but I sure prayed I would. And after she left, I kept praying and asking Roman if there was a family for me or if it was too late. I remember one day when my prayers were answered, I got a phone call and it was Tara Quinn. And I remember that phone call very vividly. She asked me if I wanted to be adopted. And my answer was yes. You were how old at the time? I was 15 years old. 15. Yes. That family pulled you in, made you their own. You'd think it'd be happily ever after, but like some spiritual orphans that I know, it wasn't. That's right. We had our family. It wasn't easy in the process of now that I had my family and I was um, able to have the home I've always longed for and I was able to create the memories I've always wanted and have the brothers and um, all the drama of having a family, times weren't easy because as I stayed in my family, I realized that I did not know how to love them back. I had a hard time accepting their love and um, because of my understanding at the time, I just continued to push my family away for some reason. They loved me, they adopted me, they gave me everything, but I was not able to give them what I knew I wanted to give them. But that was because my own heart was broken and God was molding and fixing and putting me in this family that's just my forever family. And you know, I think that's important for those of us who've got a heart for the orphan, we need to realize that it takes time to heal the heart. You can invite someone in to be in the family, make them your own, and you feel like they're yours, but there are wounds that are unseen, and there are wounds that are seen that do take time to heal. Ultimately, you rebelled. I did. I had, of course, my time as a teenager. I was 16, 17, 18, where... Um, through those years in high school and even out after high school, I rebelled against my parents. I rebelled against everything they taught me. I actually ended up 
um, telling my parents one day that I was just ready to move out and I was grown and I was, I was ready to do this on my own. And my mom, with wisdom, looked at me and she said, you're not ready, honey. I said, yes, I am. <laughs> and so um, I moved out. I went to live with my best friend and I thought I was going to have life by the reins and do this thing called life. And I was wrong. Very shortly after moving out from home, finding out that I still need the covering of my family, I needed the love, I needed the support, and I was not ready to be on my own. I found myself in desperation. I found myself needing my family. And so through my rebellious stage of staying with my friend, dating a boyfriend during college, and I ended up coming home asking if I could come home because things were getting um, out of control with that boyfriend and my family accepted me back. They brought me back with open arms, regardless of the fact that I had said I wanted to go live by myself and I got this. My family invited me back. It was just like the prodigal son. What they did was they invited me, they painted my room, they made my bed, they redid everything and they said, come on back. Well, a couple weeks after I got home, I found out I was pregnant. So I rebelled against my family just to the, to the extreme. But my family has never given up on me. Mm. They have always loved me. Through this difficult time where I broke my family's heart and broke my mother's heart with the news of being pregnant outside of wedlock, my family said, you will speak life over your child no matter what. And that just comes from my mother's heart because of what God brought her through. God brought her through and she knew that she needed to teach me to speak life over my child and that I was going to choose life for my child no matter what. And I'm so glad she taught me that. I am too, I am too. I'm gonna to ask two of the, those three most significant people in your life who happen to be here today, Roman, all the way from the Ukraine and Tara, her mom, to come up on stage and uh, just express a little love and appreciation. Roman, Tara, where are you? You stay right here. Have a seat. Roman, uh, you've got quite a ministry going with uh, orphans, but uh, you've seen God work in one's life right here. Is there something you'd like to say to, uh, to Deanna? For me, it's a big blessing touched to your life and uh, mm -hmm. reward uh, be person who you call in Father Roma, <laughs> Papa Roma. And uh, I want to say, for me, big blessing be behind you because uh, sometimes uh, we're thinking that we uh, help uh, to children, but uh, we invest to your family, and now you are hero uh, because you serve to other children. And uh, I, um, like uh, John Baptist, uh, who prepared road uh, to uh, <laughs> Jesus in your life, and through, through you, uh, God uh, will be do more with 
power and strength uh, and uh, you can do more than me than our generation because your generation is a special generation because uh, we cannot uh, uh, feel what you feel you understand each uh, orphans and homeless children bless you diana i love you thank, thank you god for you, you. Tara, yes. it's your turn. Hold <laughs> um, it together, okay? Yes, yes. That, um, a couple of things. A, a scripture the Lord wanted me to share when He was doing this work in my heart, my family's heart, and was Psalm 68, verse 6. He says, He sets the solitary into families. And Deanna's our daughter. And she's our forever daughter. And so she has a birth mother, but I'm her mother. I'm her mother, mm -hmm. and she is my daughter. These children need us. They need us. Yes. They do. I'm so proud of her. She told a lot today, and I didn't ask her questions and of what she would share exactly, and so I'm so proud of you for being able to release the ugly with the good and to let you know that you're God's daughter, not just our daughter, and that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and that you are perfect the way that you are, Deanna, and that I love you, your family loves you. And this granddaughter's name's Alexis, and she's six years old, and we adore her, and she's with us. I've been pro-life ministry for 25 years. So this other family wanted to have our granddaughter aborted. Can you imagine that? Somebody said, do they not know this family? I said, obviously not. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a God of life, and we're so glad for your life, Deanna. Thank you. And you've made a difference in ours. Thank you. It, you know, it, it's uh, too bad Bob Lehman, who said, who helped you get to Springfield, Missouri, had other plans today. And uh, I suppose he might be listening to these broadcasts someday. Is there something you'd like to say to him by way of appreciation? I would love to say to him, thank you. Thank you for listening to God. Could I stop you for just a second? Yes. Bob, would you come out here? <gasps> Bob is here. Remember that? My pillow? <laughs> Do you remember that? Yes. You don't remember? Yes, I remember. Thank you. What's the story on the pillow, Bob? Well, <clears throat> so many people gave from the town I live in and from the town nearby. And they brought so many things, but she always was attached to that pillow. But I thought surely you'd remember it. That color, you like that color, you said. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> So, Deanna, <laughs> you have a chance to say wow. it to him now. Oh. What would you like to say? I would like to say, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to God. Thank you for being so in tune. Thank you for not giving up. Thank you for going and letting God use you. Thank you for just... Um, I know that maybe at times you felt like, how can I make a difference? I'm just one person. But you just one person that God had to use. You were just that one person that God needed. 
And because of you letting God use you, I am here. I was waiting for you. <laughs> I, I, learned, I learned God gave taught me more than he did you, I think. Thank you. Yeah, you sweet you, young lady. You're a hero. Thank you. you are a hero. No, I'm not. For stepping out in faith and engaging a little girl, and so are you and you. And we started this by talking about seeds, planting seeds. One of the great lies I believe the devil of hell says to people is, you can't make a difference. This is the reality. You can. You can make a difference. May I conclude our time by giving thanks? Lord God, you are the great redeemer. Thank you for chasing us down and redeeming us and adopting us into your family, for still loving us, still pursuing us, still coming after us. And thank you for this magnificent story of perseverance, of redeeming love, and uh, of restoration of life. We give you the honor and the glory. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. amen. Would you like to express your appreciation to these? Well, we've been listening to an amazing story today, a story that was captured at the Christian Alliance for Orphans Summit that took place in Nashville earlier this year. If you or anyone in your church has a, a burden for the plight of the orphan, adoption, foster care, let me encourage you to consider attending the Christian Alliance for Orphans Summit next May. It's going to be May 4th and 5th. It'll be at Brentwood Baptist Church just outside Nashville, Tennessee. There's more information available, and you'll find it when you go to FamilyLifeToday.com and click on the link for the Christian Alliance for Orphans. Again, go to FamilyLifeToday.com to find out more about the Christian Alliance for Orphans Summit next spring. We want to uh, take a minute and wish a happy anniversary today to Jason and Violetta Perry. I think it's Violetta. I don't know if it's Violetta or Violetta. But the Perrys are celebrating 10 years together as husband and wife today. They live in Fairfield, California. Listen to Family Life Today on KFIA. They've been to the weekend to remember a number of times. And we just want to say happy anniversary. We think anniversaries matter and ought to be celebrated. We just recently celebrated our 40th anniversary here at Family Life. Had a great couple of days with friends and supporters from all across the country who came in for our two-day celebration. And it was good to pause and just reflect on what God has done over the last four decades in the ministry of Family Life. And I hope the Perrys will take some time today and just reflect on how God has been at work in their marriage over the last 10 years. We want to say thank you to those of you who have made our last 40 years possible, those of you who support this ministry and who also believe that anniversaries matter and make a difference. Thanks for your financial support of this ministry. And if you're able to make a contribution today, we would love to send you as a thank you gift our 2017 Family Life calendar. And I know you're thinking it's it's just September, but the calendar actually starts in October of 2016, so you can get it now and put it to good use before the new year is here. The calendar is our thank you gift when you go online to donate or when you call 1-800-FL-TODAY and make a donation. Or you can mail your donation and request the calendar. Write to Family Life Today at Box 7111, Little Rock, Arkansas. Our zip code is 72223. Now, tomorrow, we want to talk about the start of the NFL season and talk about what's going on behind the scenes to help provide 
spiritual care for the players and the coaches. We'll talk about the NFL chaplaincy program tomorrow. Hope you can tune in for that. I want to thank our engineer today, Keith Lynch, along with our entire broadcast production team. On behalf of our host, Dennis Rainey, I'm Bob Lapine. We'll see you back next time for another edition of Family Life Today. Family Life Today is a production of Family Life of Little Rock, Arkansas. Help for today. Hope for tomorrow.